Greetings to each of you this morning. In Jesus' name, it's good to see each of you here to look into the Word of God together. My next scheduled sermon was to be the first sermon of the year, and so I was thinking about um, a message that would be kind of a New Year's message, if you will. And along with that, we've been I've been studying in First Peter, as you know, and there was something in the first part of the second chapter of First Peter that made me think about the new year. And so I'm breaking into my study of First Peter and preaching uh, a different message this morning. And the title of the message is Discovering a Good God. I preached a version of this message about a year and a half ago, maybe almost closer to two years ago. Um, so, and I think there's some people here that probably heard that message, but um, so if some parts sound familiar, uh, that may be why. Discovering a good God. Who is God? What's He like? Is it important that we discover Him? I have a poem to get your minds going this morning. The blind man and the elephant. It was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl. It seems to me the elephant is nothing but a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp to me is mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached up his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he, "'Tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth who chanced to touch the ear said even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most, deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. So who is God? You see, when it comes to God, humans have a problem that's equal to blindness. It's darkness. You see, darkness, you can't see any better in darkness than you can if you're blind. And in our world, people are, are groping around in that darkness, trying from their own experience to frame a reference for the idea of a supreme being. 
and they grasp and bump into aspects of God. And from that perspective, they build the idea of who He is. God is loving and tolerant. God is an austere judge. God is a state of mind. God is a cruel dictator who commands genocide and supports slavery. God is a distant being who hides Himself from us and then sends people to hell who don't find Him. You see, these are some of the things that people think about when they think about who God is. Is that who God is? Is it important that we know? I was talking to someone some time ago and they said, you know, does it really matter if we know who God is? And this was my answer to them. If we're simply products of random chance, then no. Because life doesn't have any meaning or purpose. We're simply happen to be here randomly. And we'll go away and it, other random processes will continue to happen. But if a supreme being created us with meaning and purpose for our lives, then it is of utmost importance that we learn to know Him. And the fact that man is continually seeking for both meaning and purpose is a direct indication of his origin. That he was created with purpose and with meaning. Should we be content as the blind men were to use our finite perspective and limited experience to build our view of God. You see, if that is the perspective and experience that we use, then God can be no bigger than we are. Because it's only what we experience that frames who He is. But God is bigger than that. Jesus in His high priestly prayer said, and this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. So Jesus is saying that knowing God is eternal life. Knowing the true God is eternal life. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I want to repeat that. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because if we have the wrong concept of who He is, then our concept about life is going to be wrong. And ultimately, the end result of life is going to be wrong. And the only way that we can truly know a God who exists outside of time and space is for Him to reveal Himself to us. See, for God to create the world and everything in it, that's time and space. And so He had to be outside of that to create it. And it is upheld by His power. The only way for us to know Him is if He will reveal Himself to us. So let's allow God to describe Himself to us through His Word. Allow Him to show us who He is and tell us who He is from His infinite perspective.
I have two questions for you. Well, before I get to them, I have something else. God wants us to find Him. I think that's a crucial point. God wants us to find Him. Jeremiah 29, 12. Then shall ye call upon Me, and ye shall go and pray unto Me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall find Me. Ye shall seek Me, and find Me, when ye shall search for Me with all your heart. Do you want to know God with all your heart? And that brings up two questions to me. Do I have any hesitation in my heart about knowing God on a deeper level? Is there anything about who I perceive God to be that makes me not want to know Him? Or to hesitate or to draw back from knowing Him? Because you see, we have to seek for Him with all of our heart. There needs to be a full engagement of our heart. And do I have concern that if I learn to know God for who He really is, that that's going to affect my life in a way that I don't want, that's negative? And I think both of those things can keep us from discovering a good God. I'm going to use two verses from the Psalms for my text this morning. You can turn there if you'd like. Psalm 27. Verse 13. Psalm 27, 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So it's saying here that seeing the goodness of God gives us something that we need to go on in life. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then... Psalm 34, verse 8. It's a familiar verse. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. And I like this idea of taste. Because taste is the... how we categorize flavor. And it's saying that when you taste God, the flavor is going to be good. There's going to be a good flavor. You're going to learn to know something good. And you're going to be blessed by trusting in that good God. God is good. You know, I thought about those blind men looking at the elephant, you know, probably all of them would have been able to agree that that elephant was big. Regardless of what they came into contact with. And God is good in that same sense. In other words, His different characteristics show us His goodness. 
And this morning, I'd like to look at, at three ways listed in the New Testament that reveal God to us and reveal His goodness. First of all, the creation. Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament sheweth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night sheweth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is going out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the sun. They're saying that the creation is speaking of the existence of God. Romans 1.20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. So the creation that God made, He's proclaiming to be very good. His masterpiece, without blemish. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about a good creation. That it was very good. God is good, and His creation reveals that goodness. A world that was perfect. A perfect ecosystem. Perfectly balanced to support life. Living creatures who interacted together. And most special of all, a creature who bore His image and was able to communicate with Him freely in a love-centered relationship. And God pronounced it very good. But that's not the totality of what we see in our world today, is it? So what happened? The famines, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, the wars, the rumors of wars, the hatred and murder and violence. Instead of good, it seems to be spiraling out of control. What happened? You see, love-centered relationship is most fully expressed with free will. And for man to have the deepest aspect of relationship with God and with each other, there had to be free will initiated into his capacity. But with free will came also the capacity to not love. The choice to love or not to love. And that opened the door for evil. I don't want to look. I'm going to come back to that here in just a little bit, but I want to think about what evil has done to our world. God gave man dominion over the, over, the, over the world. And when man obeyed Satan, he gave his dominion to Satan. Because who we yield ourselves servants to obey, his servants we are. Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, sin destroys God's good creation. 
And through sin, our world has been caught in a downward spiral. Romans 8, verses 18 through 23 talk about the whole creation groaning in that spiral, waiting for God's redemption, longing for God's redemption. And we don't live in a suffering world because God created a suffering world. We live in a suffering world because of sin. And when we sin, we're damaging what God created to be beautiful. But what just amazes me is the fact that before God ever began that creation, He had a plan in place to redeem evil. And that was from the verses in 1 Peter we looked at two weeks ago. That before the foundation of the world, Christ was ordained as a resolution to the problem of evil and sin. So God shows us His... His, we, We see God. God shows Himself through His creation. And we have the opportunity by choice to enter back into a love relationship with God as a result of His redemptive plan to be restored from evil. The second way that God spoke to us is through the prophets who revealed Himself. Hebrews 1.1 God who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So through the prophets, God was revealing some of who He was. He spoke through them and revealed Himself. And in the prophets, we see that God is holy. And that holiness shows His goodness. The law and the prophets lay out righteousness, the judgment, the mercy of a holy God. Isaiah 6.3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of His glory. In Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 32.4, He is the rock. His work is perfect. All His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. And you see, if God was either deceitful or immoral or unjust in His judgment, or changeable, He would not be a God that we could trust. But He's unchanging in His nature. He's just and right and true. That's who He is. Now I was thinking about that even in God's judgment, we can see His goodness. Think with me for a minute. The story of, as we go down through the story of the Old Testament, and God brought judgment because of His holiness. But what did that judgment do? So, even in Noah's day, the earth was filled with violence. And that violence was destructive to God's creation. 
What about the separation at Babel? What about the plagues of Egypt? What about the Amorites whose iniquity was moving towards running over? And all of that destroying God's creation. You see, if God had not brought judgment on sin, sin would have become unrestrained. Completely unrestrained. And it would destroy, completely destroy God's creation, completely destroyed all righteousness, completely destroyed all hope. God's judgment against evil protects His creation. But it does something else too. It shows us our need for mercy. It shows us our need as well. Romans 2.4 says that the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. And so we come to a place of repentance because of the goodness of God. And part of that happens is because we see God's judgment on evil. God's holiness is inseparable from His goodness. If He were not holy, neither could He be good. Because He is holy, He is also good. And to us He says, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. God's call to holiness in the same way that it brings about protection for righteousness. God's call to holiness on our lives is not restrictive, but rather protective of our lives. God's call to holiness is not a restriction on who we are, but rather an opportunity for us to be more full, to be more complete in who we are, to be in His image as we were meant to be to experience human fulfillment. If we have the picture that God's holiness is restrictive and that being more holy is restrictive, that's a wrong concept of God. It's a wrong concept of who God is and what He wants for our lives. Deuteronomy 6.24 This is following up on what Ben read this morning about one Lord. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as it is this day. Yes, it's the end of a fleshly life, but it's the beginning of a life of hope, fulfillment, and purpose. There's another way that God revealed Himself. And it's through His Son. Go back to Hebrews 1.1 again. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, 
In Jesus Christ, we find the full representation of who God is and of His goodness. In J.C. Wanger's book, God's Word Written, it says this, In the fullest sense, the expression Word of God applies strictly to Jesus Christ. For He was the living embodiment of God. He was in His very person the incarnation of deity. All that God is, Christ is. The, the, incarn the incarnate Son of God is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. All fullness dwells in Him, Colossians 1.19. And He is the express image of God's person, Hebrews 1.3. And when the disciple Philip, now this is, that was the end of the quote, when the disciple Philip asked to see the Father, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Jesus was saying, by seeing me, you see who God is. John 1.14 And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who God is. That's showing us who God is. The person of Jesus. I have a couple of references that I'd like for brothers to look up if they would. Uh, John 8.12 Hebrews 12.3 1 John 4, 9 and 10. Titus 2, 13 and 14. 1 Peter 1, 19 through 21. And Ephesians 2, 1. The goodness of God. The goodness of God is most fully expressed in the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' life and teaching present the ideal for human society. John 8, 12. Jesus began then saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me cannot walk in darkness, but shall have light, shall have the light of light. He shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. The capacity to be able to see God and see what life is really about. His suffering identified with the struggle of human existence in a fallen world. Hebrews 12.3 Paul until him that until the of let he be willing, willing, and pain in you mind. The suffering of Christ identified with our human experience and showed God's willingness to suffer for sin. Not my will but thine be done, was the point He was willing to go to to identify with our pain and suffering. In His death, we gave, He gave both the supreme example of love and the perfect sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4, 9 and 10.
The love of God manifest by the suffering of Jesus. He was willing to experience the consequence of His creation's choice to give us back, to give us a way back to Him and to His goodness. Titus 2, 13 and 14. A way back to God. A way to experience peace. This redemptive plan was in place before creation, even before God gave man choice. He had put in place place a plan that would redeem the evil brought about by man's choice. 1 Peter 1, So Christ was foreordained. This plan was ordained before the beginning to redeem man's choice. The power of His resurrection brings us life from the dead. Ephesians 2.1 The opportunity to be alive again as God created us to be. And the cry of Paul's heart was, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them at dung, that I might win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. This morning, do you know Jesus Christ? You see, if you've come to know Him, you've come to know a good God. You are in the pursuit of the most wonderful pursuit that life could have. And that's the pursuit of God. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption or the death that is in the world through lust. And this was the mystery 
Colossians 1.26 The mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ dwelling in you. And we come to Him by faith. And He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. How is He a rewarder? Well, when we find Him, we find eternal life. And that's something that happens within our being. It's a change that we experience as a result of knowing Him. It's a change to our spirit. So someone has asked, how can people who live in terrible physical circumstances say that God is good? And it's because of the spiritual change, the spiritual life that they experience. And there are many people in this world who are in terrible circumstances, and yet they say God is good. And it's because of the spiritual change that has taken place in their lives. And they have found His goodness His goodness that is eternal. They have tasted, they've tasted of the longing of the human heart being fulfilled. And they say, God is good. Job had a glimpse of this. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You see, he understood the eternal aspect of God's goodness. In Romans 8.28, it says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So it's saying that all things work together for good. In what sense? Verse 29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. The eternal good that God's working out conforming us to the image of Jesus, conforming us to His goodness. You see, the life of Jesus held eternal goodness. And I was really interested in something that I learned this past week or something that I, that I saw this past week. And this wasn't a call that I received. It was a call one of the other men received on the, on the call line. But he said um, he didn't believe in God. But he said that his goal for 2020 was to live like Jesus. You know why he said that? Because he recognized, because he saw the eternal goodness in Jesus. And even though he wasn't a believer in God, he did see the good of Jesus' person. And that is who God says, I am. This is who I am. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. discovering a good God. 
So we're about to begin a new year. And my question is, will our faith survive and thrive until 2021? And I believe the answer to that lies in our connection with God and our willingness to pursue our relationship with Him. First Peter chapter 1 ends, the, the end of that chapter is talking about the eternal Word of God. It says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord abides forever. That's the eternal Word. It's eternally good. And that's where we find God. And then there's two verses in chapter 2 that I want to look at real quickly. And it's saying because of that eternal word, in verse 1 it says, Lay aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. And then it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. And we're just talking about the image of the Son being conformed in our lives. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about us growing. It's growing and being conformed in the image of Jesus. And then it goes on to say something really interesting to me. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You see, there's a connection between our desire for the Word and our view of God. And if we believe that He is good, we're going to want to know Him better. And that's my hope for us this year, this coming year. That we will see our good God, that we'll experience our good God, that we'll taste and we'll want to know Him more. And want to know Him more. And want to know Him more. So that we can be conformed to the image of His Son. And we can show that in this community. To our friends, our neighbors. And to each other. The Lord bless you as you seek a good God.